Amen. All right, so today I want to speak to you on how to be a Christian in America. And the reason I want to talk about this is because you know that we, we live in a very, very polarized time. There's a lot of division. The political atmosphere is toxic. I mean, it, there's always a lot of, uh, you know, uh, animosity, I guess, between the, the political parties. But it, uh, I think it's no surprise that it just seems to get, be getting worse and worse. And uh, so how do we live as Christians in the midst of, of this uh, divisive culture? And uh, so I want to read today. I want to start off by reading from Galatians chapter 5, uh, verses 13 through 15. Galatians 5, 13 through 15. And uh, it reads like this. You, my brothers and sisters, were called to be free, but do not use your freedom to indulge the flesh. Rather, serve one another humbly in love. For the entire law is fulfilled in keeping this one command. Love your neighbor as yourself. If you bite and devour each other, watch out or you will be destroyed by each other. Well, today is our nation's birthday, and I must say that I'm proud to be a citizen of this country. I do appreciate its founding. I appreciate the founding fathers. Uh, they weren't perfect, but I appreciate what they did. I appreciate our founding documents. We learned about those things in school. But I was thinking this week that I'm especially thankful that today, uh, on this uh, Independence Day, we're, uh, I'm thankful that we can be united as a country in this celebration. If nothing else, for this one day, right? Because tomorrow we will go back to hating each other. Because apart from this day, we sure are, as I said earlier, a divided nation. We sure are a polarized nation. I read a blog post this week by a man named Kerry Newhoff, who's a pastor. He's an author. He's a a blogger, he writes uh, on leadership, leadership, how do you say that word? <laughs> leadership. And in fact, he has a very, very successful uh, podcast on leadership. And uh, you know, I've listened to that for years. So he actually, he, he wrote a blog post on how our culture is changing so quickly in the, just in the last few years. And so I want to share with you a part of, of what he wrote. This is a quote from a blog post by Karen Newhoff. He said, one of the things that is changing quickly is how deeply we seem to hate each other. Election years and global pandemics only seem to make that trend worse. I wish I could say Christians were exempt from this trend. We're not. In fact, there are a good number of Christians who are fueling it. Oh, and I read that and I thought, well, is, is that right? I mean, a, a blog post is somebody's opinion, right? That's, that's what it is. Sometimes I, I see people share blog posts on Facebook or Twitter, and they say, well, they say, well, this article says, I think, well, that's not an article. That's not research. No, it's, it's a blog post. It's opinion. So I thought, is he right? Or is it true that there are a good number of Christians that are fueling the hate, the 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 polarization in our country. And, and as I reflected on that, I, I thought of several examples that showed that he's right. 
we might expect non-Christians to fuel the hate, but sadly we're seeing some Christians that are fueling it. They're adding fuel to the fire, and it just it, it made me sad, and I thought, how is this possible? How could some Christians be fueling the hatred and, the divi- and division that is just consuming our nation right now? A lot of reasons. Uh, we obviously can't cover them all today. We can't discuss them all today. But I, I do think that that one of the reasons is that a lot of times we don't understand the relationship between our rights because you know we're celebrating our nation's independence. We're celebrating our founding documents and the Bill of Rights. And sometimes we don't understand the relationship between our rights. And our responsibilities. Now, certainly we have responsibilities that are laid out in our founding documents. We have responsibilities that are laid out in the Bill of Rights. And, and I'm thankful for, for the Bill of Rights. You know, the, you know, of course, that's what we call the first ten amendments to the U.S. Con- Constitution that guarantee our personal rights, our individual rights. And I'm thankful for that because most nations don't have individual personal rights. Most nations that I know of don't have a, a Bill of Rights that they call by some other name that does the same thing. We take our personal um, uh, freedoms, our personal rights, our individual rights, we take them for granted. We might assume that everybody has these rights in other countries, but they don't. Some people don't have the right to bear arms or the, or the freedom of speech or, you know, to gather for an assembly, you know, and and and. We're covered you know, so well by our Bill of Rights. There's, there's even an amendment, number nine. Uh, you remember this right from school, number nine? Which basically tells us that, that the rights that are listed are not the only rights we have. Our founding fathers were very, very smart, very wise, and they knew you know, somebody's going to come along and say, okay, you got these rights, but that's it. These rights and no more. And, and our founding fathers said, no, gonna, we're going to add this amendment. And there are other rights that are not enumerated that are given to us. They said, by God, remember that word inalienable? It means they're given to us by God. But sometimes we, we so we've got all these rights, but sometimes we take them for granted. We just assume them. And because we take them for granted, then we fail to see the relationship between those rights and our responsibilities to use those rights correctly. Some of that is covered in, in, in our founding documents, but for sure it's covered by God in His Word. It's covered by God in, in what we just read a while ago, and we're going to get back to that here in just a minute. Now, really, we should all understand that, especially if you're a parent. If you're a parent, you know that if you give someone rights, i.e. your children, then you have to link those rights with responsibilities. How many of you know what I'm talking about? Otherwise, things go horribly wrong. Did any of you, when you were teenagers learning how to drive, maybe you even had a car already, did you ever have the keys taken away from you? Uh, I know you don't want to raise your hand, but uh, maybe, you know, you, you got a ticket or maybe somebody saw and reported back to your parents that you were speeding down Sherwood Way or something, and you get your keys taken away from you because 
Even though you have the right to drive, now the state gave you a license. Uh, with that right come responsibilities. Did anybody, this is kind of a weird one, did anybody ever have the door removed from your bedroom? I don't get that. I understand, you know, nailing the door shut with their kids in there. <laughs> but uh, Although that might, that might be what they want to do. But again, you know, some parents see, you know, I'm paying for, you know, the mortgage on this house. And so I'm paying for your lodging. And if you're not going to either come out of the room to have dinner with us or whatever the situation might be, then we're going to remove the door and remove the privacy. You don't have a right to privacy without responsibilities. Parents can remove rights because they know that with rights come responsibilities. And the same thing goes for us as citizens of this nation, and certainly the same thing goes for us as, as Christians. So here's, here's my, my first point, and I've just given it to you, but let me, let me state it this way. Individual rights must be linked with individual responsibilities for true freedom to take hold. Individual rights must be linked with individual responsibilities for true freedom to take hold. This is true, as I said, as citizens of this nation, and it's true as Christians, as followers of Christ. Because in a nation where there are individual rights, but nobody takes responsibility for their actions, then the result is chaos. The result is anarchy. Liberty without responsibility actually undermines liberty. In other words, if everybody demands their rights, and we, and we see this, right? We see people demanding their rights in our culture. If everybody demands their rights without consideration for the responsibilities that come with their rights, and without consideration with the rights of others, then ultimately what happens is that everybody will lose their rights. We'll all lose our rights because liberty without responsibility undermines liberty. Now, here's something important. I don't want you to miss this, that, and, and I alluded to this a while ago, that our rights come from God. That's what that phrase in the Declaration of Independence means, uh, in, inalienable rights. Actually, the word is unalienable rights, the way it was written. They use the word unalienable rights. Today, the, the correct form uh, of that word is inalienable rights. But that just means that our rights come from God, and, and we're grateful to that, and we're grateful that our founding fathers understood that, and they, they declared that, and they put that in the founding documents, even though they weren't in a place that, I mean, uh, in a sense, it was hypocritical, uh, hypocritical for some of them. But nevertheless, what they wrote was true and is true. But what we've got to remember then is that if the rights that we have in this nation are in, in alienable rights, that means they come from God, then that also means that we're accountable to God then for how we use them. If our rights come from God, and we believe they do, then that means that we're accountable to God. That means we uh, will have to give account to God for how we use them. And that's... You know, that's so important and I think so easily forgotten. We're accountable to God for how we use our individual rights, both as Christians and as citizens of this country. 
We're accountable to God for how we use our individual rights, both as Christians and as citizens of this country. We just can't disconnect those two. We, we, we just can't detach our accountability to God for our individual rights from our accountability to, to, to God for our spiritual rights as, as Christians and as citizens of this country. We can't do that. And so this is what Paul is addressing. Paul actually a, a addressed this in this letter that we just read, this portion of this letter. This letter is uh, written to the Galatians. Uh, now, Galatia was not a, a singular city. So this is not to just like one church. Galatia was actually a, a, a group of churches in the province, Roman province, known as Galatia. So this was a letter that was going to go to this group of churches. Now, apparently there was some confusion about their relationship, the, the Christians in Galatia, these churches, about their relationship to the Old Testament. So there were uh, some that had been teaching them that they were to keep the entire Old Testament, the entire law. So then Paul writes this letter explaining to them that now that they're followers of Jesus, they were not under Old Testament law anymore, but they were to approach life in a different way. So in making this case, he, he, he makes a statement that is so relevant for us today, and I think it gives us direction in terms of how we should respond to our nation's laws, how we should re respond to our nation, how we should respond to the division in our nation today, especially in light of the fact that our, our nation has detached itself from any kind of biblical conscience. Um, I was born in the, in the 50s, the late 50s, you know, and, uh, uh, and grew up in the 60s in high school and in college in the 70s. And I, I remember growing up that, and it's just reading, you know, documents and such from that era that there was a period of time where uh, it seemed like the whole nation just had a biblical mind. They weren't Christians. They weren't all Christians. But there was a biblical conscience uh, about our nation, about our culture, an understanding that the laws came from the Bible. And even people who didn't understand that, they, they still sort of thought with a biblical conscience. And, well, all that's gone. Right? And we're not going back. Some people say, I'd love to go back to the 50s and 60s. Well, culture only moves forward. Culture never moves back. So we're not going back. So then how do we live as Christians in, in today's America? And so I think what Paul has done is he has given us directions as Christians for how we should respond to the division by teaching us how we should use our personal freedoms and our inalienable rights. Now, I was thinking about the first time that I was able to drive my parents' car by myself. Do you remember that when, whenever you were able to drive your parents' car by yourself? For some of you, it's been recent, right? So it should be fresh in your mind. Um, it's been a long time for me, but I still remember uh, what that felt like. It's kind of a unique feeling, right? I mean, your mom's not there to make you nervous because you're not making her nervous. It seemed like in talking to people, uh, uh, young people, a lot of them say, well, my dad's okay, but my mom, she just makes me nervous. Anybody here? <laughs> so may maybe that's your first experience without your mom there and without your dad there telling you, turn here, turn there, making, you know, dad said, make everything a teaching moment. And see what happened there? Son, here's why that didn't that happen, why that didn't work. And 
and so on. But your first time to experience freedom, a, a, a car that weighs 2,000 pounds under your control. Isn't that awesome? You, know, you, you wanted to speed up and you're in control. Uh, but sadly, for some people, when they get there, they realize that things don't always work out well. Maybe, like I said, they had to get a, a speeding ticket as a teenager or, or worse, some kind of car crash. Um, but it's a unique feeling to have freedom, to feel like you're in control. Or how about the freedom of going away to college and suddenly, suddenly realizing that your parents aren't there to tell you, uh, get to bed early, uh, clean your room, throw out the trash, you know, wash dishes, whatever. Or have you done your homework? Parents aren't there to nag you, right? What a great feeling of freedom that is. But again, uh, in, in college especially, a lot of kids find out, well, their freedom didn't end too well. Uh, somebody was uh, telling us recently that... Uh, you know, they, their experience in, in college wasn't, wasn't great. You know, like start off great, start off uh, excited about being in college and end up, you know, flunking out uh, until they kind of turned their life around, you know, realize, okay, this is not a game because freedom is not a game. The reality, though, not just in those examples, but in many more that we could give of our own lives is that our natural inclination when we when we take freedom for granted is we want to use that freedom for ourselves only. And, and we don't want to think about the responsibilities that come with that freedom. We, we want to use that freedom for our personal benefit without regard to how it affects other people, without regard to how it's going to affect us later, uh, sometimes sooner than later, without regard to how it's going to affect our parents, people that love us. And so then Paul comes along and he says, you're Christians. And you've been given a stewardship of freedom. We have a stewardship of freedom. We have a stewardship of personal rights. Benji was talking a while ago in the giving talk about how we, you know, we, uh, we're tempted to mismanage money sometimes. And the money belongs to God, really. All of it belongs to God. And so we have the, we have the, uh, the freedom to use that money and to manage it for God. Well, it's not just money, but freedom in others. Certainly we have freedom in the way we use our money, but in the way we use our rights, Paul says, but you're Christians, and so you need to see your freedom as a stewardship that you need to manage correctly. You need to use your rights not to declare them on the street or to declare them on social media and, and, and you know, go, you know, place yourself against that other side, but You've got to manage it in a way that honors God and in a way that serves people. This is what he tells us in Galatians 5. Let's read this again. Look at verse. This is a statement I'm talking about that is just so relevant to us today. Uh, once again, verse 13. You, my brothers and sisters, were called to be free, but do not use your freedom to indulge the flesh. Rather, serve one another humbly in love. Now, Paul knows something here about human nature. He understands that when we're uh, by ourselves, now listen to this, because I, this is true for all of us. When we're by ourselves and nobody is telling us what to do, i.e. freedom, right? We decide that we can do whatever we want to do 
since we don't have to give account to anybody, right? Our parents aren't there, our spouse isn't there, our kids aren't there. We decide we can watch whatever we want on TV, even if we were taught by our parents that there are things that are inappropriate, or even if we as parents taught our children that there are shows that are inappropriate. We're by ourselves, so now we can watch whatever we want. That's a natural inclination of the flesh. And Paul knows that we tend to use our freedom to go as low as we can go. I mean, when nobody's looking, we can go as low as we can go. And furthermore, Paul knows that we, uh, it is our natural tendency to use our freedom not just for ourselves, but to abuse our freedom and, and, and to just, as I said, consume it on ourselves. So Paul is saying here, hey, you're Christians. You're followers of Christ. You bear the name of Jesus. You bear the name of Christ. And you're stewarding the freedom that He has given you. So don't use your freedom just for yourself. Don't ask the question, what can I get away with? Don't ask the question, how low can I go? Don't ask the question, where's the line that I shouldn't cross? Those are the wrong questions to ask. That's using our freedom, he says, to indulge the flesh. Paul commands us, instead of using your freedom to indulge the flesh, he says, use your freedom to serve one another humbly in love. Yeah. Don't use the freedom to indulge yourself, to indulge the sinful inclinations of, of your life, of the flesh, but use your freedom to serve others. So here's the point stated. God has called us to capitalize on our freedom by using it to serve others. That's not what we see happening today in our culture. We see people saying, I've got the freedom to do this, and, and you better not you know, get in my way, and, and so many other forms of expression. But Paul is saying, no, God has called you to capitalize on your freedom by using it to serve others, to do something for others. You have the right not to do that. It's your freedom, but you also have the opportunity to do that because you're a Christian, because that's what God has called you to do. And then Paul takes us to one of the most common, one of the most well-known phrases in all of the Bible, really, is, uh, from the Old Testament, in the book of Leviticus. Jesus used it, and um, the Apostle Paul here says it as something that should drive our behavior. This is spoken of in the Old Testament. Like I said, Jesus used it. And teaching, uh, when they asked him, what is the most important uh, commandment? He used this teaching, and now here Paul tells us in verse 14, for the entire law is keeping this one command, love your neighbor as yourself. Now, I always find it interesting that when they asked Jesus, what's the greatest commandment? He said, to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, strength, and mind. And the second one is like unto it, love your neighbor as yourself. But here Paul says the entire law is fulfilled in keeping this one command. That means that the part of the law where we love God with all our heart, 
soul, strength, and mind is also wrapped up in this one. How we love God, how we love God is going to be expressed in how we love our neighbor. That's what he's saying. The entire law is fulfilled in keeping this one command, love your neighbor as yourself. Now, to desire things for yourself is not wrong. To uh, want to buy you know, clothing for yourself, you, wanna, you, know, you hunger for food, that's not wrong. You want to be safe in the crisis. You want to take care of yourself, take care of your family. Nothing wrong about that. You want to be healthy. You want to be liked by others. That's, that's great. There's nothing wrong with that. You want your life to count in some significant way, and you live your life to find that significance. That's, that's fine. That's not wrong. But what Paul is saying is this. As you long for food for yourself when you're hungry, so also long to feed your neighbor when he is hungry or when she is hungry. As you long for nice clothes for yourselves, so also long for nice clothes for your neighbor who is in need. As you work for a comfortable place to live, so also desire a comfortable place for your neighbor to live. As you seek to be safe and secure from danger, so also seek comfort and security for your neighbor. The key word here, I think, well, it's all important, but I, I, I want to zero in, zero in on the word as. Love your neighbor as yourself. What does that mean? Well, that means that if you're energetic in pursuing your own happiness, then be energetic in pursuing the happiness of your neighbor. That means that if you're creative in pursuing your own happiness, be creative in how you're going to pursue the happiness of your neighbor. If you persevere in pursuing your own happiness, then persevere in pursuing the happiness of your neighbor. In other words, Paul is saying, seek the same things for your neighbor that you seek for yourself and seek them in the same way. The same zeal, the same creativity, the same perseverance. Love your neighbor as yourself. So don't just use your freedom to indulge the flesh, to satisfy your own sinful nature. Don't be self-centered. Don't be self-absorbed. Only preoccupied with your own feelings, desires, and your own rights. Don't just do that. And yes, we all have inalienable rights that can't be taken away. And yes, we've been set free from the curse of the law. But remember, with rights come responsibilities. And with freedom comes the opportunity to love others. And then in verse 15, Paul gives a warning. Boy, this is a serious warning. Look at the language he uses. And it's almost like he could see into 21st century America and other countries as well. But we're talking about our country because this is our country. This is where we live. Look at verse 15. He writes, If you bite and devour each other, watch out or you will be destroyed by each other. That's for us, folks. He's talking about how we should use our freedoms, right? Our individual rights. And he says, if you bite and devour each other, watch out or you will be destroyed by each other. In other words, he's saying, look, if you don't get this right, you don't get this whole thing right about 
using your freedom not to indulge yourself, your sinful nature, but using it to serve others because the whole, uh, the entire law is wrapped up in this command, love your neighbor as yourself. If you don't get that right, here's what's going to happen. If you just, you're just worried about your individual rights. When life becomes only about your individual rights and only about your freedom, it says, you're going to devour each other. Then your rights will go up against somebody else's rights and you're going to bite each other. You're going to devour each other and you're going to be destroyed by each other. He said, you're going to destroy each other because you didn't know how to use your individual rights. It's unbelievable. It's like Paul could see into the future and could see people, including Christians, who would be so focused on their individual rights, on their inalienable rights, that they would just live for themselves at all costs. They would say, you know what? You can't threaten me. I'm going to sue you. Oh, yeah, well, I'm going to sue you. Well, I'm going to I'm gonna counter-sue you. Okay, that's a second suit. So I don't know what you call the third one and the, and the fourth one. And so what's happened in our country, and even among Christians, is that our Christianity now has devolved into individual rights, every man for himself, every party for itself, every woman for itself. And Paul is saying, look, that always leads to biting and devouring and, you know, each, biting and devouring each other to the point of destroying each other. You don't want to know why our country is where it is today? You want to know why it's, it's, it's going in the wrong direction? I mean, I don't know anybody who, who, who denies that, who doubts that, who doesn't see that. Is because this is what we see happening. Everybody demanding their rights, biting and devouring each other, and that leads to destruction. Not, look, we're a free country, and we're free in Christ. But here's my next point. We undermine our own liberty when we only use our liberty for ourselves. We undermine our own freedom when we use our freedom only for ourselves. It was never meant to be used that way. And I said to you at the beginning that as Americans, we have more rights than any other nation in the world. In fact, we have more rights than any nation that's ever existed in the history of the world. But apart from following God's plan, those rights are going to destroy us. Those rights that are enumerated in the Bill of Rights and that are expressed or, you know, they're implied are going to be our undoing. We're going to devour ourselves because apart from God, those rights will destroy us, and they are destroying us. In our quest to be free as individuals, we're destroying our nation, and we're not honoring God. But here's the good news. We as a church are in a prime position to turn this around, and I think only the church can do that. Only the church can do that. No political party can turn this around. But we as a church can turn it around. Not by being some unified voting block, but by being a unified obedience block. By obeying God's word. By understanding what Paul is warning us about. We've got to wake up every single day and decide that we're going to use our freedom to serve others. We're going to use our freedom to, to serve our neighbor. We're going to use our liberty for the sake of others. You know, I, I'm thankful that we're a nation of laws, but we can do better. and We must choose to do better because laws only tell us what's permissible. They don't tell us what's acceptable. 
Laws don't tell us what the better path is. Laws only tell us how low we can go. God's word, though, tells us what's acceptable and pleasing to God and what's helpful for a community. We don't live by ourselves. We live in community with not just as a church, but in community with our city, with our state, with our nation. And so God has called those of us who are Christians to do much better because we've been called, we've been commanded to love our neighbor as ourselves. We've been called to use our individual rights for the benefit of others so that our freedom won't be destroyed. So we don't bite and devour each other to the point of destruction. So what do we do? Just three quick things here. What do we do? How do we do this as a church? I said we as a church are in a prime place to do this. We live humbly. We live humbly. We consider others better than ourselves. That's what Paul wrote to the Philippians. We serve others. We look for opportunities to serve others without expecting something in return and without expecting recognition. We just serve others. We pray. We pray a lot. So we live humbly. Secondly, we've got to remember that every person you come across bears the image of God. Every person who expresses a political viewpoint totally opposite from yours, that person bears the image of God. Every person that we stand up and say, that person doesn't deserve to represent our country in the Olympics, you know, because of this, because of that. And that may be true. I'm not saying that's not true, but I'm just saying those people bear the image of God. Every person bears the image of God. Now, they may be our opponents in, in, in some area, but they're probably not our enemies. Opponents doesn't mean enemies. And even if they were our enemies, you know, political opponents are not political enemies. Sometimes we see them as enemies. And we talk about them as enemies. We, uh, we just react against them as enemies. And they're not. They're opponents. But even if they were enemies, Jesus told us how to address that situation too, didn't he? He said, love your enemies. Do good to those who hate you. Maybe there's somebody who hates you because of your belief. He would say, love them. Bless those who curse you. Have you ever been cursed by somebody? I have for believing in, in, in Christ. Bless those who curse you. And, and Jesus said, pray for those who mistreat you. So you love them, you bless them, you uh, pray for them, you do good to them. Because they're made in the image of God. And then finally, he said, live humbly, remember that every person bears the image of God. And finally, we honor God by loving our neighbor. Because as I said, those two commandments that Jesus said, here's the greatest, here's the next greatest, they're, they're all wrapped up together. We honor God, we love God by loving our neighbor. We honor God by loving our neighbor. We don't, now listen to this, we don't love our cause more than our neighbor. Love your neighbor more than your cause. 
We don't love our political ideology more than we love our neighbor. We don't love our side more than we love our neighbor. Jesus said it very clearly, and Paul reiterated it. We love our neighbor as ourselves. That's the only answer for our, our nation. That's it. It's the only answer for our country. And uh, I'll say this. I don't know about you, but I need God's help to do those things. I do. I, I can't do this by myself. My, nat my natural reaction might be toward anger, toward pride, that look down on other people who don't believe like I do. It's just a human reaction. I, I really I, I like the story that Benji shared because this young mother who said she was tempted to keep it. I mean, realistically, we go through those temptations because we're human. So we need God's help. And so today I want us to finish our time here just asking God for his help. Asking God to, to help us to be obedient to what he teaches us in the book of Galatians. Be obedient. Help me. I can't do this by myself. And so I'm going to invite you to pray as we conclude that way. We, you know, we certainly we pray for our country. Let's keep doing that. But let's pray for ourselves that we would be obedient, that, that God would, would remove the pride in our heart. That sometimes we get so comfortable. Help us to live humbly. To see others, every everybody, as someone who bears the image of God. And to just honor God by loving our neighbor. Would you bow in prayer? this time. Father, we're so thankful once again that your word is so clear to us. You speak to us in your word in this passage that we have looked at today. You warn us. Not only do you teach us so clearly not to indulge our sinful nature with our freedom, but to use it for others. But you warn us what's going to happen. And we see this happening, Lord, in our nation. Rather than joining in and rather than fueling the fire, help us, Lord, to, to be the ones that begin to turn this thing around. and Help us, dear God, to love you and to love our neighbor. I want to be willing to use my freedom for others, not just for myself. Because I know that you will always come along and fill in the gaps that I feel are being left behind when I serve others. Oh, but what if I serve somebody else and something gets left undone in my own life or in my family's life? Well, God, you know how to fill those gaps. That's what you do. Help us to do that. The way for our nation to be kept from destruction by biting and devouring each other is for us as a church to turn back to you. Help us to do that today. In Jesus' name.